Welcome to Everything Is Up, a podcast about the real-life stories of people who have created extraordinary levels of success. These are conversations with people who are constantly striving to take things to the next level. And now, here's your host. All right, everyone. Welcome to Everything Is Up. This is Tamara. I'm your host. And my guest today is a very good friend of mine. Um, and I'm very honored that uh, she's had an opportunity to kind of clear her schedule a little bit for me today. I've been kind of like knocking on the door a couple of times here saying, hey, come on, come on. So joining me today is Miss Allison DePauli with Altique Consulting out of San Antonio, Texas. Allison, I can't thank you enough for being here. So I'm so happy to be with you today. <laughs> yeah, so excited. So I know who Allison is. and. Like, I just love Allison. You guys wait until you guys hear this. This woman is amazing. I literally just got an opportunity to chat with her a little bit here this afternoon. And um, I learn from her every single time that I talk to her. So this is very exciting. All right. So Allison, tell us who is Allison DePauli? Well, isn't that just the existential question of all time? Who are we all? So with my professional hat, I am an employee benefits consultant. We, I always tell people that I, we help people pay a fair price for healthcare and only the healthcare that their employees consume. Some people understand that. And some people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, but uh, so that is my professional role. And we do some unique and interesting things, which is not the subject for today. Personally, I'm the resident smart aleck. Um, I don't take things too seriously and I'm a pretty big skeptic but I like to have a good time when I'm being a skeptic this is true I've been on some of those sides of having fun with Allison (laughs) (laughs) always a good time when we are with Allison um so I know you were originally from Pennsylvania yep how on earth did you get to Texas I mean we tell you guys to get here as quick as you can I got here as quick as I could (laughs) So I I grew up in Pennsylvania and um, my father moved to Florida when I was about eight. So after I graduated from college, I went to work for my dad. And while working for my father, I met my ex-husband and we decided we wanted to leave Florida and he wanted to get back to his career in um, marketing consumer staples. And so he interviewed a couple of places and he said, I'm, I, I've got a call. I'm, I'm going to go to this Heb grocery company in San Antonio. Heb. Heb. <laughs> what? He went on the interview. He came back and he said, they're going to offer me the job. And they did. And four months later, I was in San Antonio and learned that it's not Heb grocery company. It's <laughs> H-E-B grocery company. And, and anybody uh, who's from Texas knows that it's not HEB, that it's H-E-B. And I'm, that's very much a Texas thing too. H-E-B. Oh, it's absolutely a Texas thing. Totally a Texas thing. And probably an amazing grocery store to boot. But that's funny. Outside of Texas, it's HEB. That's that's kind of yeah, kind of hilarious. HEB grocery company. <laughs> and, and I moved to Texas and uh, my father didn't talk to me for about four months, five mm-hmm. months, and came to visit me one time and was like, well, okay, they have buildings taller than four stories now. And because he was there in the in the late 50s in the Air National Guard at Lackland Air Force Base. Oh, and wow. he was like, you cannot move to Texas. They don't have buildings taller than four stories. 
like you were there in the 50s. So anyway, um, I'm still here. I, I have built my practice and my life and, and all of that here. And, and, and I did get here as fast as I could. You know, you know, I'm married to a Pennsylvanian as well. Yep. So, um, you know, I just didn't let him leave. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he threatens every day. He's like, you can do whatever you do from wherever. And I was like, my family's on the East coast. And I was like, okay. not leaving. I told you when we got married, when you proposed, I said, I'm never leaving Texas. Do you want to rescind that question? <laughs> like, so I was like, we're not changing the terms of the engagement now. Going once, going twice, right? <laughs> Third time sold, I'm putting the ring on the finger. So, um, and you know, obviously we've been married 25 years and um, he did not leave Texas. So it's all good. So I'm very glad that you are here. Honestly, I probably would not have met you if you hadn't been... Texas. So this is all good. So it's all great. Yeah, no, I love it. So you, everybody on the show knows Tamara is a big time dog lover. She's now got six and 30 chickens, just call it animals, whatever. So 30 chickens. I know, right? Did you not know I had 30 chickens? I knew that you had 19 chickens. I did not know that you had 30 chickens. Yeah, so there's 11 new babies. They're like about so big. They're really cute now. So I got them when they were this big. So now they're teenagers. It's very cute. So um, so big time dog lover. And we share that in common. Yes, we do. Yeah. So I I like I, I live in Sophie's house. You know, Sophie does not live in my house. And there was a skunk recently. My house is very old. And it's a pier and beam house. Mm-hmm. And a skunk decided to take up residence. Oh, no. The skunk. It's now been relocated. And, uh, but Sophie got sprayed twice. Oh, wow. Poor girl. Poor girl. Poor girl. Poor mama. (laughs) That smell is atrocious. You cannot get rid of it. Even in your, they say tomato juice, but I'm telling you, tomato juice does not work. (laughs) Uh, The first time I threw it, I was, I was headed out of town. So she was going to be boarded anyway. I threw her in the car, went straight to daycare. I literally opened the door and the woman behind the counter looked at me and said, you know, she has to get a bath first. Right. And I was like, whatever you want to do, here you go. (laughs) And the second time I didn't have time. I was like six 30 in the morning and I had to be somewhere at nine. I did not have time to run her to the, get a bath again. I threw her in the shower. She was like, what are you doing? (laughs) But (laughs) <laughs> and she's a great Pyrenees and she does not stink like the labs stink after they've been sprayed by a skunk. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So she's, how does she handle the Texas heat? You know, up until this year, she's four now. And up until this year, she's been pretty unfazed by the heat. When it's really hot, she might stay on the breezeway or, or she'll stay inside a little more. Now I cannot get her to go outside. Yeah, I, I, she's just like, eh, I'm good, thanks. And she'll <laughs> lay, she lays on the tile, and, or she'll lay on the bed, or she'll lay on the tile. But she, um, yeah, they they've got some seriously thick hair, and I mean, I know they've got undercoats that kind of help. I know it regulates, but it's it's just it, we've been over a hundred for weeks now. Yeah, it's been terrible here too. Yeah, so you know that I don't have to air condition the yard is just a bonus to that, but. Um, she just, she won't even go. She'll go out she, every once in a while. She'll like, Hey, I, I got to go. And I let her out and she comes right back in. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we're, we've been kind of a little bit miserable here. Yeah. So, um, 
how long, I mean, you said you worked for your dad, your dad also in the benefits field. My father did own a, an, an employee benefits firm. Also, um, we did, we had this really di- psychotic book of business where we did self-funding for mid-size employers, 250 to probably about 3,500. And then we had our accounting firm on a self-funded plan in the, in the late, in the late eighties, in the early nineties, till the mid nineties, probably, um, 35 people at this firm, put them on a self-funded health plan. We have never had anybody be as happy with a health plan that was self-funded as those 35 people, because they knew exactly why they were doing it. And, and, and they had, their costs were so stupidly low. Wow. Um, but that's what we did. And then I moved to Texas, pivoted into the voluntary benefit space. And, and one day looked around going, why is all this happening? You know, you could just do this and we could solve this problem. Really, it's it's not a big deal. And that's how I ended up back in the self-funded space. Uh, sometimes it's where you're supposed to be. So yep. did not happen by accident. You were destined in this field. You needed to meet me anyway. So this just works. Yes, I did. <laughs> okay, so I I've known you now probably a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have this fun side, right? But there's also this very deep side to you mm-hmm. and very methodical. So if you could go back to your 18-year-old self, what piece of advice would you do you think that now looking back, you would give yourself? to maybe make life a little bit easier for where you are today? So two things. I was very, very, very self-conscious. And so I would tell my 18-year-old self, nobody's looking at you. Just do what you want to do. (laughs) Okay. And the other thing that I would say, and I would say this to young women in particular, but really to any young person, bet on yourself. Bet on yourself. Bet on yourself. You know, the, I look back at when we were younger, right? I, I read a Facebook post the other day and I am definitely not a Facebook person. I don't know. I think I was looking at a post one of the team members posted and I, I kind of scrolled a little bit and there was the post about um, congratulations, 70s, 80s kids, because you rode bikes without helmets. You stayed out past midnight with no cell phone and nobody cared where you were, right? Uh-huh. You you had lead paste paint on your beds and nobody cared you're still here, right? So it goes through this whole long line of yep. all these things. And the kids now, teenage kids, let's talk 18, 19, 20-year-olds, I feel like they are so disconnected that they are missing this, this, this relationship, this able to have that conversation. And when you say bet on yourself, right, mm-hmm. is you can do this, right? And you don't yeah. have to be worried, really, that you can't. I, I, I don't know what things are going to look like. So, so I, I think a couple of things. So I, I am of that generation. I mean, I used to ride on the back, you know, there was like a ledge behind the back seat in my grandmother's Buick Riviera. I used to ride on the ledge 
you never mind no seatbelt, right? Like I would just ride on the ledge. <laughs> and I mean, so, and I survived, right? Miraculously, I survived. And um, I have a bonus child. And uh, her father was telling me what, what I've done all of these things, right? I, I, I traveled, I, you know, my parents didn't know where I was <laughs> a week or two at a time. Well, I'm here. Oh, that's very nice of you to tell us that. Um, and, and he was saying that he said, you know, she could never do that. And I said, that's ridiculous. She's perfectly capable of doing that. Neither you nor her mother allow her to do that. And I, you know, I don't have children, so I don't, want to criticize anybody's parenting skills, but they hover over her. And, and I think it's lovely that they adore her and they're wonderful parents. And, and they do things like her father made her breakfast in bed every day. And on the one hand, I think that is a fabulous memory to have. And on the other hand, I see my housekeeper coming with plates out of this room and I'm like, why do you have a plate in your hand? And she's like, because it was in there. I said, what do you mean it was in there? That I found two, you know, with strawberries. I'm like, what the hell? Right. So then we have to have a conversation. You cannot leave your plates there. Put them in the, you know. So there's a lot more. There's a lot more um, attention. I don't want to say that that our parents loved us any less than this generation's parents loved their children, but the standard was completely different, and the amount of attention was completely different. And I also think you and I could be stupid until we were 30, and we were, and that was okay. I was, yeah. Yeah. I was. You you can't be stupid now. The, the consequence yeah. is so much more severe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, so, the videos, the, yeah, you are not escaping. It never goes away. It no. never goes away. So I think that the you know, the consequences are so much higher now than they were. You know, I could do something stupid at 22 and 25 and 28 and 30. And, you know, the people that were involved knew, but nobody else really had to know. But nobody else had to know. And it wasn't going to haunt you. Correct. 30 years down the road when you're applying for a job that you really want. And then all of a sudden this craziness surfaces and people are, you know, judgmental. Whether we think we're judgmental or not, we are. We are. Yeah, we are. So, yeah. So I think it's much harder now. Um, I do. So I think we had a lot more freedom then. Well, I also think too, that there's also, um, you know, television, radio, the sensationalism of how many murders there were today, whose kids went missing, like mm-hmm. that sensationalism also terrifies parents. And so then they hover. Even more. Yeah, of course. Of yeah. course. Our media is just lovely. Like we just, it's just lovely. It is, right? Okay, so speaking of doing stupid things, what's the most important lesson that you think you learned? So I've learned two, well, I've learned many, but (laughs) let's talk about two of them. So I didn't realize that this was happening, but um, I was, at a dinner with my father and I was the chair of the organization hosting the dinner. And I was in my early forties. And that was the first time that my father actually saw me as an adult. And we had this wonderful speaker and she was the daughter of migrant farmers. And at that time, her business was generating about $10 million a year in revenue. And now it's generating close to a billion. 
Wow. So a very smart, successful woman. And she said, my father taught me that it was very nice to be important, but it was more important to be nice. And my father leaned over and whispered, I taught you that too. And he did. He just taught it to me without ever explicitly saying so. Right. And I think that that is one of the most important things. And what I also realized at the time is I judge pretty harshly on that. And I think that everybody gets some grace, but don't be an ass to other people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, especially other people that are not in control of the problem you have. <laughs> like, just because they answered the phone doesn't mean it was their fault, right? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 um, and I, I actually got some very positive feedback about that the other day. I, I was talking to a, a carrier rep and we have a, a client that is having some challenges that are being inflicted by the carrier rep. And I'm really very grouchy about it. And um, I called someone else, me again, and, blah, blah, blah. and he said, I will always take your call. I know you're upset. I know you're frustrated. I know this is our fault, but you're not yelling at me. Right. Yeah. I think that since COVID, I think people were at least somewhat respectful to each other and really respectful on people that they didn't know. I've I've seen people that know each other be really incredibly disrespectful to each other. It drives me up a wall. But since COVID. That's changed. Oh, okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one because I have made this comment a couple of times where since COVID, just asshole drivers on the road, asshole people in the grocery line, yelling at people that like, you don't know them. They're trying to check out your groceries. They're trying to help you. What are you doing? I came to the defense of um, a cashier in a Walmart about two months ago. This woman was, this, and this girl could not have been more than 22 or 23. And I was standing next in line. Mm-hmm. And this woman was berating her because are, what you're just incompetent. And I'm on and on and on. And I looked at her and I said, that is enough. <laughs> I just, I'm I not surprised her, by that at all. I'm sure you're not. I, but finally, I just said, that is enough. She is trying to help you. If your pennies are going to be on a wad, you take it somewhere else. None of us want to hear it. And she yeah. looked at me. She was like, bitch, this is not your problem. I said, again, said, that's it right here. It is absolutely my problem. You, this is nuts. I was like, again. Take it somewhere else. I think that people are so, I think the level of, or the quantity of low level anxiety that people feel is, has mushroomed by a hundred, right? Boiling, yeah. And, and, And they just, people just, they don't know where to go with their frustration and, um, and it just comes out and, and, you know, I think people, people get a pass, right? You're, you're having a bad day, whatever. I, I, I get that. But when you're continually like that, I, I really think it's a problem. I don't have one client, not one that has not asked me for additional mental health resources. Yeah. And not that people are taking advantage of those resources, but every 
single one. And when the manufacturers are coming to you and saying, we have a mental health problem on our shop floor, there is a problem. There is a problem. Absolutely. I think there was this slow simmer that was happening before COVID. And then, and then COVID just exploded because everybody's inhibitions went out the door when you got sent to your room. Yep. I mean, think about this. The entire world in almost every single country, the citizens got sent to their room. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody's recovered. And no one has recovered. I think that that's just true. And I, I think that we are going to see these effects for decades. A long time. For a decades. Long. And, and I think that teenagers, particularly younger, early teenagers, had the hardest time because they were just kind of working through that social kind of realignment, awkwardness, what, and, and they're all their skills are delayed. All of it. And, and it's, it's just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me, um, I'm very sad. I'm saddened by it. Um, I'm just saddened by it. Right. So speaking of, you know, learning lessons, um, you've had a ton of success and you've been incredibly successful um, in your industry. You have 2022 Next Gen Benefits Advisor of the Year. Congrats. Like um, that was a big moment. Um, but with our successes also come some failures. Oh, yes. Right. Um, I call it failing forward flat on my face. But <laughs> I think that's a very good description. Yes. Right. Failing forward flat on my face. What would you say probably the biggest failure that you had? And then how did you get back up? So the biggest failures are all related around around the same thing. And that is um, the power of the status quo. Hmm. And the 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 effort that it takes to. Turn the Titanic change. Yeah, introduce change. Turn the Titanic to, to introduce change and how important change management is in what we do. Yeah. And and how and also how important it is to have executive level buy-in in what we do. I have a client, they're not very big, and the executive team refused to meet with me. And we had a couple of challenges, carrier rep, who I'm not yelling at, <laughs> and and they have gone off the rails, but they would they would not and will not talk to me. Yeah. And yeah. we simply will not have clients like that moving forward. If, if you are in the executive team, you certainly don't need to be involved in the day to day, but you do need to be involved in the decision making because these are big decisions for your company and they are financially rewarding and they they help people get access to care. But if there's a problem, we need to be able to talk through what the problem is and provide a solution and not just have screaming. Well, so I also think that because I too have had that failure mm-hmm. um, and I, I took it personal, um, feeling like I didn't communicate well enough and you know all of those things. But I think that they want... They want the rewards. They have gotten into their head that they're too busy to, mm-hmm. to 
to spend 30 minutes, spend 30 mm-hmm. minutes, right? I'm just, I'm too busy. You guys go handle it. I think the one thing that I learned out of it um, is that you are the leader. You cannot push change from the bottom up. You have to lead down the street and hope they follow. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. It, and I think that goes for any change in any field, in any anything. Yes. The the leader needs to needs to say what the change is and embrace the change. And and I have a another client and they, they have about 700 employees. And I was talking during one of our on-site clinic meetings. <laughs> uh, we we're looking at the place where we're gonna put the clinic, which made me so incredibly stupidly happy. Um <laughs> And he was saying something about his medications and he says, and I know where he lives and I know what Walgreens he goes to and I know where there's an HEB. And he said, well, when I pick up my medications at Walgreens and I said, hold up, why are you going to Walgreens? I said, well, I just go to Walgreens. I said, how about you go across the street to HEB? And he said, okay, why? I said, give me the name of the medication. It was 80 percent less. Wow. And that isn't always the case. And Walgreens has some competitive, let's not throw anybody under the bus. Right. And he went, oh, should I tell people that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, I feel like I'm swimming upstream, like here, help. We can row together. Yeah. I had no idea. I I know you had no idea. That's why you pay me. Right. But I, I'm asking, can you go across the street? You want to tell a few people to go across the street? I'm great with that. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody but, had to change their medication. Nobody had to change their formulary. They literally had to turn left and not right. That was it. Yeah. You know, I refer to kind of what we do when we're talking about the status quo of turning the Titanic two seconds before it hits the iceberg. Yes. Stop turn around, reverse. Like it's, it's an impossibility and yet it's not mm-hmm. right. It could happen, but when you have got so much momentum that's pushing it and you don't have somebody up top going, turn, 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 turn. right? Like I'm turning, follow me kind of thing. I, I think that um, as a society, we're such we have such a herd mentality that mm-hmm. if, being part of the group, there's safety in being part of the group. Well, um, if you think about it from a survival standpoint, there we were designed to be in a tribe, not alone, so we didn't get eaten by yeah. sick tigers, right? But that was two hundred thousand years ago, and, <laughs> and our brains have not evolved. You know, it's only been thirty minutes that we've not had to be worried about the saber-toothed tiger, right, or the elephant, or the lion, or the bear, or the whatever. But yeah, no, no, so I, I get that. I totally understand it. Yeah, no, you, I think that that becomes the challenge, right? Yeah, and I, I was telling you, and I was telling you earlier, I get up in the morning because I love the challenge, yeah. right? There are days that um, I go home and bury myself because I'm like, this was so hard. Uh (laughs) You know, my my human side kicks in. Um, So 
I know it gets me up in the morning, right? I love bringing joy to people and I love, love, love a challenge. What gets you up in the morning? What floats your boat? So first, I'm ungovernable. So I must own my own entity. Like, it's just not even a choice anymore, right? You want me to do what? No, that's just not going to fly. But my whole family have been entrepreneurs. My grandfather, my father, my two uncles, my cousins. I've seen what it takes to run a business. I've seen people really go out of their way to help them. I've seen them really try to take care of their their teams, right? And um, it's just, if I can help that, because I think we've gotten so far out of whack with health insurance that it's just insane. And, And we've also done a wonderful job of conflagrating health insurance and health care. Those are two very different things. And, and if I can fix that for somebody, then it is very professionally satisfying to me to fix that. And, you know, my, this is a long time ago. So my father used to build modular homes when I was a little girl. And that's where I had my first job at age four. So you can imagine what kind of trouble he would be in today. (laughs) And um, he got a Facebook message from somebody that used to work for him. And it said, I don't know if you remember me and I'm paraphrasing, but I used to work for you and I had just gotten married and we had a baby and we couldn't afford the $250 deductible and you paid that for us. And I just wanted to let you know how I remember that you did that. And I thought my father was going to cry. Well, I mean, come on, right? Anyone who has a business, anyone who's had employees, when you step out there and help them, Right. And then they leave because they're little shits. Right. To have them come back Back is huge. There is nothing that doesn't. I don't know. And I don't know an employer that isn't moved when an employee comes back with that. Every single one. It's happened to me. And so I I know. Yep. It makes you want to do it again. Yes. And, right. and I, you know, and I'm going to tie that to my, to my client who I asked to go across the street. One of their goals for a long time was to have an onsite clinic. And they're just at the size where you can afford to do that. Right. You know, six, 700 employees really is about the floor where you can make the math work for that with a physician and 40 hours and space and all of that. They, we were doing the, we did a kickoff meeting, a ribbon cutting and I'm there and he said, and I want to thank Allison DePauli again. And I'm, because you know, I love that, right? And he says, she has these great ideas and she made this happen for us. She has some other ideas. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes we're not so sure. I'm like, you just said that in public? <laughs> but you should have seen how people responded to this. They have a clinic and everything that happens in the clinic is no cost to them. The employer is paying the cost. Yeah. And these people are like, what? 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 And there is a lot. And they made it not just for benefit eligible, but for all part-time, full-time, on the health plan, not on the health plan. If you are an employee, you can go to the clinic. And people are, what that got them, there is not a price tag for. No. No price tag. No, no, no. No, because... 
There's also that employee who can't afford to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden has this, my employer cares. And there's a doctor down the hall and I do, there's a doctor down the hall and I don't have to clock out to go. Wow. Yeah. Look, you guys, that, that's, that's the thing, right? So these, these things think. We are so used to Blue Cross, Humana, United, Aetna, like, and that's, I mean, and come on, we'll give kudos to Blue Cross. They are the beast in our world. That may or may not be a good thing. Correct. Beast has many definitions. Right. It does. And so when we look at an ice, you'll take a group or a segment of people that think all rises, the sun rises and sets in Blue Cross. Mm-hmm. And yet we're talking about an entire company that is going to a doctor that is in on their campus, right? And the employer certified on their campus, no cost. No cost to the employee. Now let's make one thing very clear. Employers are also looking at the bottom line. They wouldn't mm-hmm. be doing it if it also didn't have a financial impact, right? So there's a positive financial impact to provide these types of benefits for your employees. It doesn't have to be Blue Cross. Like, so it's, we have such a messed up health system, like (laughs) $4.3 trillion of jacked up. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And And you know what? everybody's jacked up. I have a, we, you know, we take some heat when we put an independent vendor in and something goes wrong. And I got to tell you, I don't care what plan it is. Something's going to go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And and we have a client with a, as we call them, Buka carrier and they were renewed and they renewed on March one and the, um, the renewal was done in early February. All the paperwork had been submitted. The enrollments were all in and there was a spouse who needed an MRI and they couldn't schedule her before March 2nd because it was in renewal status, the carrier wouldn't verify the coverage. That's crazy. And that's a big carrier. That's not an independent, like, I mean, because, you know, with an independent, what do we do? We pick up the phone and they say, and we say, uh, and they're like, oh, sorry, we'll fix it. We'll fix it right now. You call a big carrier, you call Blue Cross and they're like, I'm sorry. I'll get back to you for two days. Well, well, if they get back to you in two days and you. you're not put in phone loop hell through 13 people, they give you 13 Correct. different answers. Yeah. Correct. But we have become such status quo, mm-hmm. a status quo society. If it's not broke, don't fix it. But it's already it broken. Is broken. It's already broken. Yeah, it yeah. is already broken. Um. So did you have, I know we've talked about your dad and I'm, going to jump out there and think that this is the answer may be that, but did you have a role model that really was incredibly impactful in your teenage years? Not my father in my teenage years. Interesting. Okay. Um, I had a teacher that looked out for me. And, um, I had a godmother and 
she was close enough and far enough where she would just talk to me mm-hmm. and um there was never any judgment there were always very good questions yeah and that i think that is so incredibly important it's like having a a, a very close aunt right where they're not your mother but you know that they have your best interests and that was so incredibly important and not just as a teenager, but my whole life. Yeah. My whole life. Yeah. Did you get an opportunity to tell them? No, mm. but I, I, I had an opportunity to tell um, my godfather and he said, he used to call me Trudels. Trudels, <laughs> honey. I know. And they both looked out for me. I was a, an easy and difficult child. I was one of those children. I didn't, I just went and did. I didn't ask. I didn't act out. I did. I just went and did my whole life. And um, they really both looked out for me in ways that my parents never could have because they're your parents. Right. Yeah. No, their role is completely different. Completely different. And um, really went above and beyond. You know, that term, it takes a village. It takes a village. I don't know that there are not more truer words ever spoken than it takes a village. And, Mm -hmm. you know, looking back, kind of the same thing, those individuals that I have, um, we call her Aunt Connie. She wasn't a biological aunt. Right. She was my mom's best friend. Mm -hmm. And that when my mom got sick in my 50s, um, they lived in Wichita Falls. We were we met them when I was five. So 50 years. Right. Um, My childhood best friend, still my best friend. As a matter of fact, she's having surgery today on her shoulder because she fell camping. I'm like worried sick. Um, So. um, Right. But. Her mom, and we were, you know, we we were, my dad was in the Air Force. Her dad was in the Air Force. So we just became family friends. And that yep. lasted, that, that has life. lasted my whole life, right? My mom died five years ago. And when my dad said that he was going to have to take a trip while my mom was in the hospital, my sister and I, all the men in our family left for a trip. And my mom was in the hospital. And I was, I, I was like, we cannot do this by ourselves. Aunt Connie, she's like, I'll be there in two hours. Yep. And she sat and ran the night crew with my mom so we could sleep and be with her during the day. I mean, and to this day, to this day. Those people are very important. Um, and, and they bring something different, right? I think particularly when you're young, you know, your mother is your mother and and you're not going to listen to your mother because, you know, you're 15 right. or 13 or 18 or 25 or 40. And they bring a different, just a different sensibility. Somebody who is clearly only interested in what is good for you right. and can ask you different questions without getting 
a lot of pushback. Well, they don't get the defensiveness that you right. have with your with your parents, right? Correct. You, you're like, you just want me to be unhappy. This was my favorite line to my parents. You just <laughs> want me to be unhappy. <laughs> and then there's Ann yeah. Cody who like, how much French toast do you want me to make you today? Like, and I could eat uh-huh. an entire loaf, right? So it's like, yeah. um, the these are like I I hope that I get to be that for someone. Right. Yes. Right. So it's like that role model. I, they don't realize. I, I think they know that they're there for us, but I don't really think that they know. I don't think the, they understand the impact. That the impact is so great. Great. I would do anything. This woman could call me and be I need like, you for her. I, I need you. And it would be clear my schedule. I'm gone. Like yep. it, that's just how it would be. So that that's interesting that's yeah okay so um my failing forward right so um let's talk success for a second what's your definition do you have because I don't know that I've come up with one yet so um do you have and in your opinion what do you think the definition of success is I think there isn't one definition I think that I and I, I certainly, money is very nice to have, but I, I think if if your only definition of success is money, you can make some very bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I feel successful when I feel useful. I feel successful when I have the ability to step out or into something because I don't have to worry about the money. Mm-hmm. Um when I have time, you know, I started a few years ago going to Pilates and that was a little bit challenging because I don't like to exercise at night. I like to exercise in the morning. And what was I going to do? And finally I was like, you know what? Two days a week, I'm going to an 8 a.m. Pilates class. To me, I am in control of my time. That is success. I control my time. If I want to go to Pilates at 8 a.m., I'm going to Pilates at 8 a.m. Um, I know that sounds very small, but to me, those things are very important. And I think, and you can edit this out if you need to, <laughs> the ability to the, having enough money to always be able to say, F you, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And is, is the ultimate definition of success. No, I would have to agree with you is the, when I think of success, it's me having control of me and my yep. space. And, and I get to do what I want to do. And this business does this. And here I do this. And the family does this. And we're all moving in whatever direction we want. And, and, and we have freedom to do the things that are meaningful, that are meaningful to us. I do think, I, I'm, you know, people that are like, well, it's not just about the money. I'm like, money is important because it's kind of yes. right up there with air, as we have always heard it's put, right? Correct right up there with air because it's difficult to do or have that control of your life if you don't have any because you're always at the mercy of someone else somebody else that is where i think it becomes so challenging yeah and i would have said if 25 30 years ago my definition of success my definition of success was almost completely driven around the dollar goal that i had to hit right mm-hmm. Now, my goal is 
because I don't feel a slave to that number anymore. And I kind of gave myself a little bit of grace on if you don't hit it, the world's not going to fall off the edge of the earth. Like it's just not going to happen. And tomorrow you're going to have to deal with the next fire tomorrow. So like, just deal with it. It'll be fine. And my definition of success has been that what can I do for someone else? Yes. It is really more driven now on, and look, I'm married to probably the most frugal man on this earth. Now, blessing, because like if anything ever happened to him, I'm, I literally probably would never have to worry. But the reality is when I do stuff, like just give money away, let me just help an employee pay for a car. He's just like, what are we doing? It's like, but it makes you happy, right? Right, right. And so it's like, she doesn't have the means to do it. $2,500 is not going to mean I don't eat tomorrow, right? So but for somebody else, it might. It is going to make a difference whether or not she gets to work and gets her kids to school. So mm-hmm. to me, that has become that new um, standard of how I kind of measure what do I do? What don't I do? Yes. Am I going to suffer? My family going to suffer if I do or you don't like, and then does it really even matter? I have enough shit to answer for when I hit the pearly gates. I do not need anything anymore. I'm trying to make up for some of it. Right. So I think that's part of it too, right. Is, is, you know, okay, we're going to do better now. And I think the ability to say, yes, I want to do this or no, I do not want to do that. And, and, and for it to be meaningful to you, whatever it is, I know plenty of people that like to work 12 and 15 hours a day and they're quite happy, more power to you. I don't have any criticism there, but I also want to still be doing Pilates when I'm 80. Right. So, which means I got to start and I got to keep at it. Right. You can't, I I love that. I don't know if you ever ever read anything by Dr. Atia and um, who says, you know, what, what do you want to do when you're 90 plan backwards? And then when you're 50, you need to be in this shape. And when you're 60, you need to be in this shape because you don't, you know, and, and that was, my father had cancer 12 or 13 years ago now, 10 years ago now. And, you know, he's fine, but he did not recover 100%. And and when you're in your 70s, you just don't. That that's not a right. criticism of my father, but you, you just don't. You don't get back 100 percent of what you lost. Well, your body doesn't have the building materials because you don't have human growth hormone anymore, right? Unless right. you're unless you're supplementing, but I mean, naturally, like you just don't have human growth hormone to repair right. it back like you did when you were 30. Correct. And so you have to be, you know, where, where do you want to, do you want to, you want to be walking, you want to be playing tennis, you want to be hiking, you want to be, what do you want to be doing? And then plan backwards. And I think that was one of the most impactful things I've ever read. And I'm very irritated. I didn't think about it myself. Well, you know, it's interesting because along those lines, I heard, um, Dr. Andrew Weil, um, he's, um, a nutritional, um, uh, naturopath and he was, he was saying, what you do today will manifest it in your health 30 years from now. Yep. And I, I got to thinking, oh, 
Well, that's Chick-fil-A for you. <laughs> I'm like, well, the shit I did when I was 15, that crap came back to haunt me at 45. Right. Yeah. So it was just like, wow. Okay. Like it really, and, and I, all you have to do is follow science. Right. But you're right. Like what you do today, is it going to mean good or bad? Good or bad. Like you, I, I mentioned to um, a student in a nutrition class um, a couple of weeks ago. I said, look, here it is. Do you want to be that little old lady hunched over with her walker going through the grocery store? Take that visual, right? Because you, you, you don't have to exercise. For God's sake, you don't have to do shit, right? You're an adult. <laughs> do whatever, right. you want. whatever you want or don't want to do. Right? But know that there is a consequence for everything we do or don't do. Mm-hmm. You know? And to me, that's the definition of freedom, right? And I, 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 I you know, I think it's very trite to say freedom isn't free. It's not. You are responsible for your decisions. Mm-hmm. Eat Chick-fil-A every day. Eat a salad. Maybe eat Chick-fil-A one day, right? Work out on a regular basis. If you skip a couple of days because you're traveling, okay, get back in it, right? right. It, it's And over time, it's okay. But the more you do those things and the better, the better off you are. And, you know, my father lives in a country club. There is a significant part of the population that is over 90 right and they're a little slower (laughs) but they're in the gym and they're lifting weights and they're in the pool and they're dancing at thirsty thursday and they're done by eight o'clock right all right all right they've had their movement and their activity and their social engagement and it it is remarkable yeah the stability in that age group is superior to the mental health of the forties and 50 year olds. Yes. And, and so I'm, I'm get a massage every time I go to, to visit, to visit. And the woman that gives me a massage is a a lovely um, woman named May who might be 90 pounds soaking wet, maybe on a bad day. She has half a dozen clients over 100. They come every week for a massage. Wow. Wow. And it's that care of self and care of what you're doing. And, but again, you, you got to start at a much younger age. You can't start that when you're 80. Mm-mm. No, no, you can't. Wow. Well, I just looked at the time and I was like, oh my gosh, I have been so lucky. <laughs> now, it's been a really great conversation. And I, you know, I am ever grateful and, and really, um, feel privileged that um, I've been able to take so much of your time and you've shared it with all of our audience on Everything is Up. It gives everybody a little insight to Allison DePauli. Um, out of San Antonio, how do we get a hold of you? Um, if anybody needs help and has um, questions, how do we get a hold of you? So first, thank you for having me. I forget how much we talk when we're together. <laughs> we could just do this probably for another hour. Yeah. So thank you. Um, I'm glad we had a chance to catch up and and a chance to do this. And, uh, so if you're looking for me, LinkedIn is probably the easiest place. Allison DePauli. Um, I have a website, Altique, A-L-T-I-Q-E.com. You can reach me that way. There's some useful stuff there. Um, but LinkedIn is probably the best way to find me. You've also got a podcast. I have a podcast, Raising the Bar with Allison DePauli, um, We talk to CEOs who have raised the bar in their professional lives, and we've had some really interesting guests. 
And um, that is, I think I'm as happy to do that as you are to do your own podcast. So that's yeah. lovely to see. Yeah, it's I think lovely. podcasting is a great way to get to know people. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, we learn things about each other and I learned a lot about you today, actually, yeah. that I didn't know. So um, no, I think it's fabulous. And it does get us a chance to, you know, people to learn out there that are listening, that there are other humans who fail, who have successes, who cuss when we're on a podcast. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we I think that more conversation about failure is helpful to people who are younger than we are. Because I always thought everybody did everything perfectly. I didn't understand this concept of muscle development <laughs> um, and capacity building until I was much older. And but you know, you're not if if you're not failing, you're not learning. Learning. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. I tell you guys, I fail forward flat on my face about once a week over something. It may not be the same stuff because I do occasionally learn from it, right? I'll learn not to fall on my face the next time on that subject, but you know, it always happens. And so being very transparent and talking about our failures, I, I agree with you. I think, I think it helps me too, because I do think that we are always much harder on ourselves than we are anybody else, right? So it's nice. And I really appreciate you and just your candidness and your candor. So thank you again, Allison, with Altik out of San Antonio. Thanks, Allison. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Everything is Up. Be sure to appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. And remember, everything is up.